Hi everybody and welcome to Southern Deadly Yarns. I'm Elijah from Neparendi and this is... Eve from Onkaparinga Libraries. Southern Deadly Yarns is a series of virtual author events highlighting the incredible work of First Nations authors. Join us as we examine topics including truth-telling, recognition and what makes a good yarn. And we are broadcasting from the lands of the Ghana people here in Adelaide, so thank you for the Ghana people for the warm, continuing hospitality. For more on Southern Deadly Yarns, check out onkaparingacity.com. Hello everyone and welcome back to Southern Deadly Arms. I'm Eve from Okapringa Libraries and this is Elijah from Neparendi Aboriginal Forum. Um, and we're so excited today to welcome the Blackfella Book Club. Um, the founding members are Teela Reid and Marinda Dutton. So Blackfella Book Club, in case you didn't know, is an online celebration of First Nations storytelling. And the girls have got um, more than 35,000 Instagram followers in about a year, I think. Is that right, ladies? just over a year now amazing that is fantastic wow wow again yeah thanks for joining us um hello from ghana country um we're here in little old adelaide we've just had some recent thunderstorms and a bit of rain so it's kind of nice if the lights go out that's why <laughs> oh yeah yeah any it problems we'll, um, yeah, <laughs> Same yeah. on the weather. but again yeah it's great that we acknowledge that we're on the lands of ghana people for a long long time aboriginal people around this nation weren't actually recognized as people they had their humanity stripped away from them so it's a great opportunity to acknowledge this and acknowledge their land and acknowledge their ongoing spiritual connection to country also so let's jump into it guys tell us about blackfellow book club tell us about the journey oh well it's just an online community now it's kind of boomed into its own little beast and you know it's grown into something that we could never have imagined but it's about just over a year old and it's really just about a space to honour First Nations ancestors as the original storytellers. Yeah, um, I think so. It started, as most people who have been following us for a while know, um, from it started at the beginning of the pandemic when the lockdown was probably at its most um, restrictive and we were all kind of looking for ways to keep in touch with each other and I started a bit of a book club for black lawyers and um, you know coming out of that uh, Taylor started the Instagram handle and I think neither of us could have anticipated what it would become and the kinds of conversations we would have coming out of that Instagram platform and it's really morphed into so much more than that we've got so many new relationships Tila you know wrote a book and it's become a community more than anything. Um, on to our next question what is the best thing do you think about connecting with book lovers online? I didn't even really know that the bookstagram world existed to be honest <laughs> I think we kind of naively just kind of just a continuation of what we really loved in real life, which is stories and storytelling. And probably like the benefit of our platform is that Marinda and I are quite interested in different pieces of storytelling and literature. So you kind of get a nice community around those different things that we enjoy. I, yeah, we, we share different things and Marinda like separately probably has um, engaged a lot more with the international First Nations community than I have through that platform. I think the cool thing about online though is that um, it's really accessible and it um, makes books and reviews of books accessible in a way that 
the general community might not necessarily engage in books and people might not necessarily be thinking, oh, I need to read more literature. But through the community of book club, I think um, it really breaks it down. It makes it accessible. It talks about books in a, in a way that means something to people and takes it out of that kind of high level thinking and really makes it easy for people and you know we've had stories from people who have said you know I've never bought a book before but I did because I saw something on your page and it's those kinds of stories that really are uplifting and motivating and um makes it really worthwhile actually there's one thing that I wouldn't mind talking to you while we're both here I mean what made you want to become lawyers I mean laws rather interested me over the years, but I'm just wondering how come you went down this road? I started law school when I was 17 and I was always interested in kind of social justice issues. And in high school, I was studying legal studies, which was the thing that kind of propelled me on that career path. But I think the thing that I was most interested in at that time was, you know, I was really deep in all these resources that my dad had at home because he was removed as a child. And I was really interested in unpacking and looking at how discriminatory and how unfair that, you know, the stolen generations and the policies and legislations that enabled that to happen to my dad. And that was the kind of thing that put me down that pathway. But I know Taylor's had a really different pathway to law than me. Um, my story into law is a little bit different to Marinda. Um, I was first a teacher, um, a high school teacher for about four years before I transitioned into the law. But um, I guess I'd always had a strong sense of social justice and I'd grown up in a family in far Western New South Wales that was pretty active in the Western New South Wales land rights movement. And when I was a teacher, I was selected as Australia's youth delegate to the United Nations in New York. And it was there where I met a number of lawyers and advocates in the space. And I kind of was like, okay, I'm gonna go back to Australia and become a lawyer. And I did. Oh, wow. That's so cool, so impressive. Yeah, I'm just going to become a lawyer. Yeah, why not? I, I think Miranda touched on it briefly as well about, you know, some of these sort of laws and what brought about different policies and how these discriminatory practices come in. Is, is there anything, I guess, first and foremost, that you'd like to see change within the law system or any different acts, you know, brought in and legislated to create better change? I think for us, particularly like Miranda and I, who have been born and raised, in community with our families in particular who have experienced, I guess, the full force of the law. It's, it's just Western laws generally have been weaponized against First Nations peoples. So we absolutely, I think, need an overhaul of the system. And I think our society needs to take that seriously. Um, I have advocated for lots of different things and I think you know lots of people have called to action many changes around Black Lives Matter. Um, I guess there are two or three main reforms I want to see in my lifetime. Um, I've worked for many many years on building a new court in New South Wales and that's the first change I want to see which is called the Wallama Court. 
Um, and it's about in including Aboriginal um, ways within the court system here in New South Wales. Um, and I've been working on that since probably about 2014. That's how long changes take, you know, and we're almost on the cusp of seeing that change come. The second thing is I've advocated for a few years now for the Uluru Statement from the Heart. I was a working group leader on Section 5126. Australia has a power called the race power, and I'd like to see those changes within the Uluru Statement come to fruition in my lifetime. Um, a call for a First Nations voice and a Makarata Commission. And then the third thing that I do hope, you know, hopefully in a few decades, is that we do become a republic. So those, those are my three things that I have for my own career within law and what the changes are, I think, are so important to us. I think I'd reiterate what Taylor just said, but I, I think also that when you think about the law, um, you, could have, you could have all the laws in place that are meant to protect us, but it's how, how those laws get administered that um, really changes things for people and about systems and structures that enable discrimination and disempowerment to happen really. I mean, there's, there's all sorts of laws that I'd like to see changed and all different ways that I see discrimination happen, but it's the systems and the people implementing those laws that enable those things to happen to Aboriginal people. Yeah, wow. There's a lot there, a lot there to unpack. And I love the idea of having a referendum, you know, a strong foundation which the nation can be set upon, such as the Uluru Statement from the Heart. Yeah, great stuff. I think that's um, back to Marinda's point too, you know, the core of these laws is about how the people enforce them. And for many years, it's been our people who have borne the brunt of, of oppression of those systems. And I guess with the huge changes that I, I call for, it's about using people power to get those changes through something like a referendum. Yeah. And when you, I think the stats show for themselves that most people are supportive of it. You know, there's just these few little blockers in the way. But um, uh, going back to books, um, how do you think books can and stories can help with truth telling and, you know, help, I guess, repair and bring together a nation? Well, I think, I think stories are so much a part of just our being you know they don't have to be fit a particular category as a black fella they just are speaking truth to power every day and I think that's the beauty of First Nations storytelling it's about remembering and it's about valuing and placing value on on the way in which our mob tells stories and I think you know, for the, the real heart and soul and bread and butter of lawyering is about being able to, to tell someone's story in a powerful way. That's, that's basically the ba basis of our job and to know a bit of law around it but and, and building a strategic argument. So, you know, stories are really powerful and they can really shape who you are and they can either build your sense of identity and connection and belonging Um and for me, I think the most powerful stories are stories about the land we walk on. I think um, for me, when I think about um, the power of stories and, and books, I really think about the fact that for so long, our stories have been told by other people. And that has for a long time defined the way that we're perceived. And it perpetuates stereotypes and myths about us 
that aren't true. And, you know, those kinds of stories define the way that other people see us and the way that we see ourselves. And growing up, there wasn't a lot of examples of stories told by us about us in books. And um, I think being able to see yourself in stories, in books is really important. It's important for self-esteem. Um, it's important for the way that you, that you see and understand the world as well. And it's not necessarily that white, that white way of seeing us. Yeah, that representation is such an important thing for kids to see. And even though we know that um, a lot of First Nations storytelling isn't published in books, has it been heartening to see so many, so many stories coming through? I don't know if it's just me, but they seem to be coming through thick and fast in the last couple of years, more so than ever before. So we've got people like Eddie Betts writing books, um, Briggs has written a picture book, all the beautiful stuff that comes out of Magabala. Um, how, how have you guys found that influx of stories, published stories? It's deadly. It's just so exciting. And I think, you know, I would have loved to have more, more books and stories like that growing up, but it's great. It's great. And I think, you know, those stories are for everybody as well. Mm, and I think, you know, to that point as well, it really goes to show that um, non-Indigenous people are really embracing um, the beauty of these stories and the truth of these stories. And that, to me reveals a turning point, I think, for Australia and the world. It's that for so long, our stories haven't been front and centre. Um, and we really witnessed on Blackfella Book Club just such a, an amazing demand and lust and hunger for, for First Nations stories. And I think that there are lots of different layers to it as well. You know, I think we need to put ethical boundaries on publishers to really make sure that they are honouring our protocols and our ethics when it comes to the way in which um, our stories are valued and who is allowed to tell our stories. Um, that something to me, you know, growing up in community, yeah, stories are stories, but who has the authority to tell those stories is such an important part of First Nations communities. And I think it's been such an enormous growth, especially over the pandemic, that there probably has, if I take a step back from Blackfella Book Club, um, there probably has been this enormous kind of, I guess, want from non-Indigenous publishers to just demand that space. And I think that they really need to learn and shift their protocols around it in some ways um, from what we've witnessed in our community. But Overall, I just think about the next generation and that's going to be a generation that's going to have so many stories accessible to them that we didn't have. And that's, I think, the real gift of it all. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I can't help but remember back when I was a kid and reading something like Titillick and yes. it just sort of reconfigures your mind to say, look, you can problem solve in different ways and there's deeper meaning within these stories. Um, is there uh, much you can tell us about sort of your journeys and your connecting with culture through through literature? Um, well, I would actually say I was quite a late bloomer into literature in the Western sense. You know, most people don't really know, like I really didn't read my first novel front to back until I was in year nine. So that's quite a late 
kind of book reader, I would think, but I'd always had oral stories in my family and in my community. And I think that placed a lot of value now in hindsight. At the time, I didn't really think much about it, but now I'm like, some of my most important lessons were around the campfire with my family about um, respect and the land and, you know, coming back to the campfire to really, um, to center yourself in your community and your family. And I guess now living in a city, I miss that a lot, but it's special that I had that kind of upbringing, I guess. Never too late to start reading books and no wrong way to read them either. Or having fires in the backyard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, when I think about culture and storytelling, I think it is that kind of lived experience that culture is. It's not about reading a book, but um, it is hardening and it feels good to be seen in that way when you read our stories on a page written with authenticity and with such care that um, First Nations writers are writing with. And to see, it, to see our stories in that way is very, it's, it's beautiful, I think. And it, it's nice to connect to all these different stories as well from different countries and, and see the ways that we're similar, but also to understand the ways that we're also different. Yeah, well, there's obviously such a thirst for highlighting these stories. I mean, 35,000 followers, almost 36,000 when I checked the other day is um, a pretty incredible number. How do you guys feel about that label of like social media influencer? I think Taylor and I have always said, you know, um, Blackfella Book Club is not about us as people. It's a space that we hold and we, um, as much as we try to share that space with other black followers and reviewers and um, it could easily be somebody else tomorrow running black follow book club um, it's just something that is very much communal but I think there's an important responsibility that we have with the platform that we have and I think we're very careful about the way that we use that and we try and honor that role that we have in um, giving people books and responding to community in the right way and you know at the end of the day we are accountable to other first nations it's it's a first nations platform um we've really valued making sure that we seek consent in posting um you know particular stories um and that we try and create further space on the platform to allow other people to come on and share their story. So I think, yeah, to us, the ultimate is about having that community accountability um, because if we ever we went behind the handle, hopefully um, we've got other mob to step up into that space. Um, it's just grown so much at times we've unable, like on top of our actual jobs, being able to <laughs> kind of keep up with it but you know it, it's encouraged us to to further I guess try and explore the space I would never say I was a bookworm ever but I I just love stories so embracing the stories in any way that we can and allowing other people to come through has been really important to us from the very beginning and you touched earlier on that international collection on the uh, connection on the platform as well 
did that surprise you that the First Nations stories kind of globally um, seem to hit such a connection? I don't think it surprised me. I always knew that we had that kind of kinship with other First Nations people around the world. And a lot of our stories in many ways have similar elements. And it was something that I think we always knew, but um, it was more about developing some of those connections with other First Nations people who are, um, you know, have bookish, bookish pages on Instagram. And, you know, now we keep in touch with each other and we share each other's content and elevate each other in that kind of way. And I think that's that's a really beautiful element of, of the platform as well. I, can, I almost think that there's a publishing house coming here. <laughs> Reed Dutton or Dutton Reads, yeah. Hey, um, yeah, I'm, I'm finding that I'm writing and reading and getting much more into literature and things like that. Um, can you touch on some of your favourite books over the years and, and what's been some of, I guess, some of the most influential? They're probably all up on the page, and particularly for people that are probably on here. But it's funny that you mentioned, like, you know, Tiddalik and all those stories when we were kids growing up in school and primary school. Like, all of those stories have a really profound effect, I think, on you when... But at the time, there was always this sense of them not being valued, like schools placing that label of myth or, you know, mythology on them when, in fact, these are our truths, these are our creation stories. And I think that planting of the seed at that age, especially when you're around non-Indigenous kids as well, really makes you not only question yourself but then question your place in the world. So I think those stories, and we need to kind of highlight the importance of children's stories and books as well. And I just realised this weekend, I, we we have received so many that I haven't shared. So I don't know about if Marinda's gotten them as well. But, you know, they've had a profound impact Um we read constantly as lawyers reading is like I think we just read nonstop all day but other books I would say you know things like um talking up to the white woman for me um other you know Kim Scott his literature has just totally trailblazed this space in Australian literature that um he's such a giant um and has led the way for many other people I think the other thing I really enjoy with First Nations stories is they just don't have to stick by the rules like we've had so many um poetry collections that we've discussed you know like Firefront I think um and yeah, I mean, all of them in some way, shape or form have had such a great impact and some of them we keep coming back to. But, you know, I just can't underestimate, I don't think, the power of oral storytelling. You know, everywhere you go on this continent, you're there are oral stories everywhere and we really need to ensure that we're doing our best to engage in them. Like I was on Ghana country all last week Um uh, for the Native Title Conference and the IATSIS Conference. And there's so many stories down there. You know, my sister from Broome come down and she spoke about caring for country in the Kimberley and about how, you know, her and her mum are writing stories about the Matawara, which is the Fitzroy River. But they're building a case um, to claim legal ancestral personhood for, for this river. And the river has started writing stories. So they're publishing stories 
in the name of the river to ensure that its position is elevated. And I just think that's the part of storytelling in our communities that is so powerful. There are living stories everywhere we walk. And, you know, Ghana people um, with the only native title across our capital city in this country, you know, they would have so many amazing stories down there. So I just think no matter what you hold in your hand, none of it um, comes close to the power of storytelling we have on the land we walk on. Yeah, yeah, just, just speaking um, up on West MacDonald Ranges at, um, you know, Western Aranda land and I was... Uh, yeah, made aware of some of the stories up there. And, and and they're amazing and they connect to the cosmos and they connect to you and they connect to the land. And, and, it, and geez, it makes you feel sort of humble and small and but at the same time loving everything and just wanting to get involved. And, yeah, yeah, very, very good stuff. So I just it. think it places value on our elders too, you know, what we witnessed with the pandemic was we just really valued and prioritised those people who are our storytellers and that, you know, they're our living libraries. So, yeah. I, um, it makes me think of um, a piece by Nadi Simpson that she wrote for the Griffith Review. I don't know if um, you guys have read it, but she talks about how when you write something down, write a story down, you know, it has a meaning, but it kind of loses that that kinship when um, something happens orally or in between two people. And I think there is something about sharing stories between people orally because it's about more than just the story itself. It's about the relationship between those people and, you know, about what gets passed on and what gets shared and what gets um, taken and and in the context of those two people, what their relationship is to each other. And um, that's about kinship and relatedness and um, sharing and learning and teaching. Um, And you kind of lose that when you just write something down. You don't have that relationship. And sure, people take meaning from something um, people will take their own meaning from something, but it it's kind of doesn't have that context. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's almost like a, I don't know, I'd, I'd grow up learning one story when I was young and then I'd sort of build on it and build on it and build on it. And then you, you sort of get the M version and that and R version. And, and, and I guess it just reinstills those values. Yeah, there's something more to it when it's done orally that you get the parts that you're meant to get when you're meant to get them. Totally. And, you know, like having our education in Western education systems, so much of like, you know, what Marinda was saying has been totally undervalued. You know, I've travelled in multiple universities around the world and Australia is one place that is so far behind, I think, placing value on those oral stories. Um, But I think there's a real, I think there's a real shift happening. Um, you know, engaging in spaces like this where we're able to tell and speak our stories is so important. It is, it is pretty awesome. Yeah. And, and were we going to talk to, about anybody's book in particular that might be on the horizon? Well, I did hear that somebody might have a book coming out with Magabala soon. Congratulations on winning the um, Daisy Udamara Award with Magabala, Tila. Can you tell us a little bit about what you've got coming up? Well, yeah, for everyone on here, I am 
don't have a deadline yet, but um, my book, Our Matriarchs Matter, um, will hopefully be coming out within the next year. But I should say more to that point, you know, it's been such an, a, an amazing little legacy that award has kind of left Curly Saunders, who we all should know, um, who's one of the most gifted storytellers, I would say, of our generation, um, was the inaugural winner of that award. And um, it's just been a powerful showcase of, of women telling their stories as well, I think. And that was kind of something that had really had a, impact on me was I went for a run one day and I was like oh there's a story I really want to get down and, and you know I just knew instantly what the title was going to be and it's just a children's book really that places value um, on First Nations matriarchs and allows children to engage with Wiradjuri language yeah and myself Curly and Rachel Binsala from Magabala Books are gonna be having a little event well we're all going Marinda and I are going up to Broome um for the Corrugated Lions Festival and we're yeah we'll all be up there talking about stories. Jeez, I hurry up and write some stories so I can get invited <laughs> to all these cool places that sounds amazing. What about um, you guys? what are you guys reading at the moment? Uh, Stan Grant. Yes, <laughs> because of, we've got a yarn coming up with Stan Grant, we've been reading a lot of Stan Grant's books, which are fantastic. Um, his his latest on Thomas Keneally is like so moving, and some of that language that he uses to describe how the chant of Jimmy Blacksmith made him feel is like totally moving. I hope I can keep it together when we talk to him. Yeah, yeah. But a lot of Stan Grant. Um, like I said before, but I think our, our audio cut out, the best book I've read in these 12 months has been Betty by Tiffany McDaniel. Mm. Yeah, I, knew you, I saw you inbox us that one. Yeah. And I've seen it and I just didn't, I haven't picked it up yet. I haven't had the urge. I highly, highly recommend. Um, and also Anita's latest book, River of Dreams. She did teach us how to say the title, but I'm too scared to take another stab at it. Did you like it? Loved it. Yeah, it was gorgeous. I like cried and totally felt for them but you know it was really heartwarming and um family centered as well yeah definitely another Viradjuri writer yeah <laughs> this series hasn't been intentionally Viradjuri focused but we've also got um Nathan Lyons cooking with a Koori who you might know from TikTok coming up um, mm -hmm. as well Dan and you guys and Anita Deadly. Yeah. Awesome. And I hope they're locking Victor Stephenson as well. Yeah, Victor Stephenson should be next week. So I've just popped a link in the chat for that one. Lots of cool stuff coming up. Yeah. yeah, the other thing was, you know, when we first started this platform and still, I guess we just haven't shared it much lately, it was a, trying to encourage people to embrace um to tell their own stories, you know, not just absorbing other people's stories, but encouraging people to do their journaling um, and to process things in that form. Um, and I must say, like, in the initial phases, we had such a nice response to all of that. And to be honest, I, now that the pandemic virtually is over here, we've been in full swing back at work. But I guess, yeah, we haven't just tried to force books down people's throats through the platform. A lot of it's tried to encourage, you know, to find, to find their, their gift of storytelling because everyone has it. 
Oh, that's probably why it's been so popular. Because you're not, it's not, it's not um, a super homogenous. If you follow the Instagram, you already know. But you guys post about <laughs> a huge variety of stuff and you're always posting about, you know, the different competitions and things like that that the publishers are holding to try and get the next generation of writers writing and out there. Turn on. All right. Yeah. Keep that in mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And a few other little bits and pieces as well. Do you find that you just walk down the street and then you suddenly come across, oh, I should write this down. I think there's something in that or... I do. I don't know about Rid. I just like, because I do all the time, actually. I'm going to stop talking because I, yeah. Marinda, do you have that? Yeah, I do. I always have a um, notes, um, notes going in my iPhone. Um, and it might not even just be an idea. It might just be a turn of phrase or something or um, just words, certain words that are really evocative or... Um, yeah, just ideas or thoughts or things that I'm that really move me. I think I'm always writing down things in my phone, um, and yeah, might not just, Yeah, <laughs> I try and learn new words for myself. Like I worked for a judge, um, and so writing and drafting was very an intense task of that job. But the judge was really obsessed with like learning words and then trying to put them in a story um, that would really kind of articulate a particular point. And so I unfortunately inherited that um, habit. But like I have a, an opinion column with the Sydney Morning Herald now as well so I just like everything I think I want to write down like I went to work this morning and texted the editor and I was like I went to see Hamilton on Friday night everyone's raving about it I don't think it's as good as the hype can I write something about this <laughs> this is not the revolution that I'm calling for we need a better revolution and so she pushed me yeah I just I do that all the time I'm constantly thinking about things you can write Made, that what you said made me think of something I used to do um, when I was really young, um, when I was re reading books. So I've been quite an avid reader for most of my life, um, and I would always have a dictionary <laughs> next to me. When I, this was back when we had dictionaries um, <laughs> and not Google, um, but I would have a dictionary next to me while I was reading and. I would always, you know, um, whenever I came across a word I didn't know in a book, I would go to the dictionary and figure out what the meaning was. And then I would, you know, write it down and highlight it. And um, that's how I kind of expanded my vocabulary and learnt new words. And I think um, that's, that's something that's important about reading as well. Now we're revealing all of our nerdy traits. <laughs> I do like the way you can just Google things now. So if you're looking and reading <laughs> and then somebody mentions a philosopher or two that you're not quite yeah. familiar with, then you can just quickly zoom up. And, it does. Yeah. It's more dangerous with Google, though, because then, you know, you can look up the word or the philosopher or the reference or whatever, and then I'm like 10 pages deep in something oh. else, and I'm like, oh, my God, my book. <laughs> I'm totally distracted. <laughs> 
Or you're like me and you might Google the ending. <gasps> I would never. <laughs> no way. <laughs> Next, you're going to say that you doggy your books. You can't be doing that. I doggy, yeah. I you do? Doggy, yeah. Read. You do? No, but, <laughs> but you told me off for reading in the bath. Yeah, because it wrecks the books. It makes the pages go wavy. As long as it's not a library book, it's okay. So that's probably not okay. Thank you. <laughs> books. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> Just do my anyway, enough about books, Sim. <laughs> well, I think we might have held on to you guys for long enough and taken up enough of your evening. Thank you so much for tuning in. Um, thank you so much for joining us for Southern Deadly Arts. We'd love to have a big variety of um, people on this series. So we're so glad you guys are able to join us. Thanks for thank you. And thank you to everyone that came on. I can see you all have stayed. Um, yeah. Keep joining us at Blackfellow Book Club. Oh, and before you go, what's, what's the chances of one of you two becoming a judge, you think? <laughs> Very unlikely. Is that because you don't want to? Because you're selling yourself short. I think I like being on the on this side of the bench. Wow. Oh, thank you so much, anyway, for joining us. Now, I'll just do a little bit of a quick wrap up. So, the video of this yarn and the podcast will be available on our website in the next couple of days on CaparingaCity.com. Um, and we'll also send you an email with some feedback. So we really rely um, uh, in libraries and community centres on the feedback that you guys give us on how you enjoy these events in order to keep delivering them. So keep an eye out with that for that one. And then our next author is Victor Stephenson, who wrote Fire Country all about um, Indigenous land management. So I've popped a link in the chat for that one. Also a link in the chat to follow Tila and Marinda on Blackfell Book Club. And yeah. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks, Thanks guys. See you later. Bye. Bye.